Good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing this morning? Man, fantastic. Let me tell you what you guys did a great job of this morning is singing, man. You guys went for it. So I just want you to give yourselves a clap because you guys are the bomb.com. Man, good job. Good singing. That was awesome. My name's Chris, and I'm the lead pastor here at OneChurch.tv, and we are starting a new series entitled Address the Mess. Address the Mess. And I'm so excited about this series. This is one of those things that has been kind of in my noggin and in my head for almost a year now. Um, and uh, just so excited about it because one thing you could talk about our church, if I could use one word to describe the people that come to OneChurch.tv, is the word messy. You know, 10 years ago, we started this church and we were actually meeting here at this movie theater, actually at uh, RPX just right down the hall, and we started this church for people who didn't have it all together, a group of people who didn't know all the stories, didn't know all the songs, people who were just a little bit messy and rough around the edges. We wanted to create a church that unchurched people love to attend, and uh, that's what we sought out to do, and 10 years later, we are still doing it. We've never moved away from that mission, and uh, I am so glad because all of us at one time or another, we've been messes, right? How many of y'all, you, you've had some messes in your past? All right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but some of y'all, you'd say, I'm, I'm there right now. I got, I, I'm, in fact, I'm, I got a hot mess next to me, right? I mean, uh, you, you may be uh, all kinds of messiness in your life. In fact, the word hot mess. Anybody want to know, take a huge guess where the word hot mess originally came from? It's actually an, a 19th century term. So back in the 1800s, and it was actually referred to in the whole idea of a military sense. You could go to a mess hall, and you could get a hot mess, which was what? A hot meal, exactly right. Now, in the 20th century, uh, the whole idea changed a little bit, and that military term still was a military term, but when you got into a firefight, when you were in a, between a rock and a hard place, you were in a what? Hot mess. But in the 21st century, with the evolution of the word hot, it's actually taken on a different meaning. And the word hot mess today, in today's vernacular, means an attractive disaster. In fact, if you would turn to the person next to you and say, you're a hot mess. Or if you're a guy, hey baby. Alright, so use that as a pickup line, right? See, here's the whole idea, is all of us, if we look in our past or we look in our present, and I can promise you if we look into our futures, we would see that all of us have been some type of mess. We've been a hot mess. We've been an attractive disaster. And what that hot mess simply means is we have one area of our life that is it's like coming off the hinges. I mean, things are going bad, but the other area of life, you're kind of still functioning. And people from the outside looking in, they're like, oh, they're okay. But if they looked at that one area, they would realize that you're not okay. And that really is, I think, in a, in a way, describes us and many times people who come to church, right? I mean, how many of y'all, you've ever went to church, was yelling at your spouse or your kids? And when you first, when you came into church, you like, all right? How many of y'all, you've done that in the past? I think all of us, right? And you came in and you heard the preacher talk about how you should love your family. <laughs> There was a disconnect there, right? Man, all of us have been there. I have been there. 
And one of the things we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks as we unpack this whole idea of messiness and how God uh, will love us even though we're messed. Some of you, you're in a financial mess. Uh, you've been kind of going, burning through some credit cards, and I mean, you're just kind of done with Christmas, and now February into January's hitting, and you're starting to get the bills, right? And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and I shouldn't have bought that, and we shouldn't have charged that. You're uh, in a financial mess, and you have a lot of debt that you're out of control. Other of you, you may be in a family mess. The marriage isn't going so well or for a while, and then something happened, and there's just a lot of relational messiness. Some of you, you married a mess, right? Don't point any fingers, right? In fact, you were warned. Like his three previous girlfriends like took you out to Panera, and said, hey, you don't want to do this. He is a mess. But you, this, is what, this is what your response was. I'm going to fix him. Right? Let me tell you, you fix a dog, you don't fix a spouse. Right? Some of you, you need to tweet that immediately. Right? Because it just it's, it doesn't work. That's a whole new, another different sermon series. But you can't do that, right? And some of you, you moved in with a mess. Somebody said, don't move in, and now it's become a mess, and you moved in, and it's just, it's just messy. Some of you, you're dating a mess, and you're trying to figure out, do I need to continue this, this natural disaster we're calling a date, right? Some of you, uh, you're being parented by a couple of messes. Some of you, you're parenting a mess. In fact, you love coming to one church because you can send your kids somewhere else, while for an hour, you get a little bit of peace and quiet, right? And I don't know what season of life you're in. Maybe you're in a blessed season of life where there is no messes anywhere to be seen. And I would say, great, enjoy it while it lasts. Because some of us were just one dumb decision away from making a mess. For others of us, we're one dumb decision that somebody else is going to make for us. Maybe a spouse makes or an employer makes. And it's, it's going to turn into a mess. Well, let me tell you, the one thing we have in common, and this should be good news for all of us, the one thing all of us have in common is there's always someone whose life is a bigger mess than yours, right? It doesn't matter if, I mean, everything is going to Hades in a handbasket. You're like, well, that person's more jacked up than I am, right? I mean, that's not really good news. Let me show you some really good news, and simply is this, is that you're not alone, you're not alone in your mess. It's not just about you. It's not just you. So if you're in a, in a season right now where things are just flying off the hinges and finances are not good, relationships aren't good, it's okay. It's not just you. In fact, one of the things that Christians believe is that it's the mess is what brings us together today. It's the mess is what brings us together today. And here's why that's so important to talk about is because when you see so many other people's messes, when you see when other people are making dumb decisions to destroy their marriage, destroy their friendships, destroy their health, destroy their life, destroy their finances, whatever it is, all of us, we have a tendency to be able to point our fingers and, and gossip and we judge other people. And one of the things that I want to remind us is before you and I are critical of other people, before you and I are critical of other people's messes, you need to remember that you're a mess as well. You're a mess as well. When it comes to the people around you whose lives are messy, you and I should be students and not critics when it comes to messes. Because isn't it true when you hear the story behind somebody else's mess, you tend to see them differently, don't you? You do. 
You actually have empathy for them. You feel sorry for them. Why? Because you've stopped judging and you've leaned in and you've listened to their stories. I tell you, I like that because one of the reasons why so many of you, you may have not been into church in a long time, and I know we have a lot of first-time guests here. We're so glad that you're here today. But I simply want to say, maybe the reason why you kind of got bumped out of church is because you used to be around a group of Christians, and you had like a modicum of mess in your lives, and they really didn't take time to listen to your story, but they took a lot of time judging you and criticizing you. And they were so critical. They didn't kind of ask you how you were, how they could help. There was little compassion. And you thought, if that's the way Christians are, then I don't want to be one. And you know what? I get that. In fact, for some of us, for some Christians, we've earned that. But as we explore this topic together over the next five weeks, I want to look at what Jesus had to say about messy people. Because you and I, we should understand that we need to be students rather than critics. In fact, this is what Jesus says when he was talking about in Matthew 7, chapter 1. He says, you need to yank the plank. That's not a direct quote, but it's like you need to yank the plank before you start looking and getting somebody's speck out of somebody else's eye. You need to stop and yank the plank from your own eye. He says, look, before you start judging, before you start criticizing, you need to go and look in the mirror. And when you look in that mirror, do a little history lesson. Because that person in the mirror looking back at you, they have a messy past. The reason, another reason why this is so important is because we believe here at One Church, and Carlo talked a little bit about this when it comes to small groups, that so many times we're digging holes so deep that even though we dug them ourselves, we need help getting out of them. We need help. We need somebody not to point a finger, but to give us a hand and to lift us up. So let's talk about this as we talk for the next five weeks. First thing is simply this. If you're a Christ follower in here, if you're a Christian, and maybe some of you are not, and you're just kind of checking us out, that's great. I'm so glad you're here today. The one thing you need to realize, what Christians believe when it comes to messes, is that the mess that brings us together is also the mess that brought God near. That Christians believe that the mess that brings us together today is also the mess that brought God near. For God so loved the That's right. For God so loved the messy world. For God so loved the messes. For God so loved the messy people of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, we are all messes in his sight. For God so loved the messy people of the world that he gave his one and only son. That that is the good news of the gospel. That God, looking down upon this messy world, he says, you know what? I'm not going to burn it this time. I'm not going to flood it this time. I'm going to send my son my one and only son, so that Jesus can address their mess. So when Jesus showed up, one of the reasons why people didn't recognize Jesus is they expected a God who was all about finger-pointing. You ever been around people who were always doing this to you? You ever been around somebody who was always accusing you and always judging you and being critical of you? The reason why they didn't recognize Jesus is they were expecting a Judge Judy. They were expecting a Judge Roy Brown. They were expecting punishment, lightning bolts. They were expecting criticism. They expected a God who would wag his finger and get all up in in their face and yell at them. They would expect a God who did care nothing about their story. They expected the worst. But when Jesus showed up, Jesus introduced 
the, a word into the messes, uh, into this world that no one ever expected. And it was this simple word, grace. And because they weren't expecting it, they didn't see it coming. Most people just missed it. So if your life is a mess, and if you're a hot mess this morning, you are in a good place this morning. Because all of us, some of you, you're like, man, I don't think, man, that preacher, he cleans up good. You need to know I'm a hot mess. My wife is here. You can just ask her, right? I mean, all of us, we have areas of our life that, you know what, it looks great from the outside, but man, oh, if you only knew, man. Let me tell you, here's another thing that Christians believe. That the mess in your life is a lens. Christians believe that the mess is a lens through which you and I can discover God. I like that. I like that. That the only way you can discover God is first, you've got to recognize that you are a mess. Here's our big idea today. If you can see your mess, say it with me, if you can see your mess, then you can do what? Experience God. Let me say this, and let me inverse that just for a brief. If you think that you're perfect, if you think you're all religious and you're too good, and you know what, I shouldn't be here because these people are a little rough around the edges and they got too many, you know, whatever, piercings, tattoos, whatever, whatever it is, whatever, how you criteria that you judge people. Let me tell you the one thing you will never, ever experience is your Heavenly Father. Because God shows up only to people who can recognize their mess. Jesus said it a little bit differently. He says, you know what? The sick, they don't need a what? He says, the well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need a doctor. And if you think you're well, the one thing that you will never, ever realize that you need is a heavenly father. If you can see your mess, you can see God. Now, here's what's so cool about that. If you can see your mess, that means you're just a baby step away from experiencing God in your life. And you know where we learned this from? We learned this from a guy who was all about legalism, an ex-Pharisee. His name is Paul. And as we look at Paul's life, it's such an explosion of grace, but it didn't start out that way. Because this guy, Paul, He steps on the pages of history, not as an apostle, not as a good person, not even as a Christian person, not even as a Bible writer. The Apostle Paul steps onto the pages of history as a man who was a one-man wrecking machine against the mission of the church, to destroy the church. He saw the church as a knockoff of Judaism. Paul was a good Jewish boy, and he says, I'm going to stop this cult called the Way. Because they're trying to hijack Judaism in some crazy direction around this crucified Nazarene who really didn't say much or do much and it distorted the law in the temple. So Paul decides to shut down the local church until one day Paul meets Jesus. And Jesus changed his life in such a radical way that he finally experienced grace for the first time. So he, he starts telling everybody about Jesus and how he's changed his life. He started going and creating churches around the Mediterranean realm. And as he does, you probably know he begins to write letters to these churches to encourage them. And today, you and I, in, uh, if you hold a copy of the scriptures, you and I have a copy of letters that Paul actually wrote as encouragement to these churches. So today, we're going to be in the book or the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. 
It's called Romans. And Apostle Paul, I'm just going to warn you, he's kind of a brainiac, and he gets into all the extraordinary minutia and detail about these high-level theological concepts. It's going to be a little difficult today. But I know you're smart, and we're going to spend some time dissecting this. So here's what he says in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the what? Law says to those who are under the law. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. This is just a fancy way of saying if you're under a law, then the law is over you. That's all he's saying. Or if there's a law that is over you, it's because you are under it. You got that? If you're an American citizen, what's over you? The Constitution of the United States. Right now, if you if you went to a college and you went to a university, their rules applied to you. They don't apply to me because I didn't go to that university. I went to seminary in Dallas, Texas, and one of the things that uh, I love this seminary, but this seminary at the time had this dress code, and uh, you had to wear like a tie. Every day, you had to wear like a sports coat every day. I don't know if you know this. I'm a big dude, and I sweat. And the, in Dallas, for like six months out of the year, it's in triple digits. It's kind of like living on the surface of the sun. Um, and I was just like, this is ridiculous. And sometimes I obeyed it. Most of the times, I didn't wear the tie. But I, one thing it didn't say in the student handbook, it, it, it didn't say anything about what you could wear on your feet. So me, the rebel without a clue, I decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm a, I'll wear the tie, I'll wear the, the sports coat, but I'm going to wear some flippy floppies, right? So I wore flip-flops. I remember getting called in after about three months to the dean of the students, Mr. Edmondson. Uh, and uh, and I'm like, he says, how come you, you, know, you wear uh, flip-flops? And I'm like, well, here in the student code of conduct, it doesn't say anything about shoes. Well, the next semester, it got changed. And I still didn't follow it. <laughs> so anyway, because I'm from Tennessee. So anyway, but it's this whole idea that, you know what, because you didn't go to this seminary, you can wear whatever you want. The law is over us because we're under the law. So the Apostle Paul says, whatever law you're under, that law is over you. And this law here can, rem- can actually mean a couple of different things. If you're a good Jewish person, an Orthodox Jew, it's the law of the Torah. It's the, it's the law of the Hebrew scriptures that that is over you. If you're a New Testament, if you believe in Jesus, okay, it's that, but it's also the law of Jesus. And the law of Jesus simply says you're to treat other people the way you want to be treated. Very good. That's one of the things we talk in, in one-way street. It, let me say this. Let's say you're not even a religious person then what is that law for you? It's the law of your conscience. In fact, a couple of chapters uh, before Romans 3, Paul is saying, listen, you don't even have to be a believer in God. You need to know this. God is giving you a conscience. And that's your law. That's your standard. And the whole point of all of this is all of us have in common, whether, whether it's the Old Testament law, the New Testament law, or just our conscience, none of us measure up. We all fall short. We all are messes. We all fall short of these standards, either God's standard, either the Bible standard, or just the standard of our conscience. And when we mess up, when somebody catches us messing up, let me tell you what we all say. In fact, some of you, you've said this. You've said this out loud, and we usually say this while smiling. When if your spouse says something like, hey, how can you didn't do this? You'll say, but nobody's perfect. Right? How many of y'all, you've said that? Raise your hand, tell the truth, shame the devil. Right? The rest of y'all, y'all either sleep or lie. All right? See, all of us, you're like, hey, I'm not perfect. When your mom confronted you, how can you didn't take out the trash? Mom, but nobody's Perfect, exactly right. Now, when you say, but nobody's 
What you're saying is a huge theological statement. You didn't know that, but you really are. Here's what you're simply saying, that there is a perfect that nobody is. That there is a standard, and you don't meet that standard. That you fall short of that standard. That there is an absolute, there is a law, there is a formula, there is a morality, there is a, a, an ethics. There is something that you and I don't live up to, that it exists, and that you and I fall short. That there is a perfect, and you are not it. So it says this in verse 19. So now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law... So that, now here's his purpose statement. He's saying, okay, so that what? So that you can all be good people and be perfect people and live more perfecter lives? No, not at all. So that every mouth, everybody say every. Every mouth may be silenced. And that the whole world, look at this, that the whole world, everybody in the world is held what? Accountable to God. You see, that law can be the Old Testament, it can be Jesus, it can be your conscience. The point is, you and I, when we have a tendency to accuse other people and criticize other people, you and I have to realize that before we do that, we need to be silent. Why? Because, because all of us have fallen short. The point of that struggle, the point of that guilt... The point of the tension is not so that you will be more perfect. It's not so that you will feel bad and then one day you will finally be perfect and you will start trying harder. No, no, no. Some of you, you've been trying and trying and trying and trying for years to get rid of an addiction. And it still hasn't happened. And the point of this is not so that you can try harder. No, you're missing the point. The point of this tension is that everyone would be silent. That when I'm about to look at you and be critical of you, that I would be silenced because I realize I fall short as well. So that every mouth may be silenced and that the whole world held accountable to God. That nobody has room to talk. That we are all accountable to the source of the law that we fall short of. All right? Just uh, that we ought to do this or we should do that. That's why Jesus says, before you judge somebody else, you better look in the mirror. Because when you look at the mirror, you're going to go silent. Because the whole world is held accountable to God. And then he says this, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by what? Works of the law. In other words, you can't be so good that God will ever say, you know what? You're good enough. You've done it. You made it. Because once you fall once... It's done. You fell once. And it's easy for you to do better from that point on, but what are you going to do all about the times that you, in the past that you fell short, right? Here's his point. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, look at this, through the law, whether it's God's law, the law of your conscience, the Bible, the law of the oughts that you ought to do this, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, whatever it is, that through the law we become aware of what? Sin. The law makes you and I conscious of our failures, the things that we don't do. It's one of the reasons why many of you, you stopped going to church. It's one of the reasons why you quit hanging out with church people, because nobody likes to be reminded of the fact that you don't measure up. Now, it's like this. How many of y'all, you've ever walked like by a hallway and somebody had just painted it and they put up a sign and it says, fresh paint, do not what? 
Now, when you see the words do not touch, what do you want to do? Right? How many of y'all, y'all ever did it? You actually touched the paint. I have, right? Because you see, what, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. That the, this law was given so that it will, you, you realize uh, there's something inside of me that makes me want to touch it. The law was given so that you and I can become aware of our sin. Here's what you need to realize about God's Word. That God's Word is a mirror and it is a reminder. It is a mirror and it is a reminder. It is a, a mirror that well, I can go and before I'm critical of you, I have to look at myself and go, yeah, that needs fixing. And that's what James 1 says. That needs fixing, right? And this, you got issues here. It's a mirror that reflects of who I really am, and it's a reminder. So let me ask you a question, and this question is uncomfortable. What does the law that you're under remind you that you are not? Think about that. What does the law that you've chosen to live under as an American citizen or a Canadian citizen or wherever you're from, maybe it's a religious law, maybe it's your conscience, whatever that law is, what is it reminding you that you are not? And it's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? It's kind of that same thing over, and it's kind of like Groundhog Day. You're living the same thing, and God, okay, I'm not going to do it, but next Monday you show up and you do it again. And God, I'm not going to do it, and you do it again. It's that habit that you can't break. It's that addiction that you can't tear yourself away from. It's that, and, I, and it's the resolution that you keep on making over and over, and, and by February it's like, well, I forget that resolution, right? I mean, it's just a reminder that you and I are not. Let me tell you, God's law is the mirror, and it's a reminder. And then three verses later, this is the last verse we're going to look at. This, God, it's like God through the Apostle Paul, through his pen, he gets to his bottom line. In fact, this next verse, some of you, if you grew up in church, you know this verse by heart. In fact, if I start speaking it, you could quote it to me just verbatim. But here's, I want to look, I take a fresh look at this because Romans 3.23, Paul writes this. He says this, for all. Everybody say all. I, I was doing some Greek studying because this is written in Greek. And as I was doing a Greek word study of the word all, I came across a new meaning of the word all. And it simply means it, that it's all. For all... This is, called, this is for everybody, not just religious people. For all have sinned. That's a big Bible word, right? What do you mean, Paul? What is sin? What do you mean by that, Paul? Can you break that down? Yeah, let me break that down for you. Let me repeat it in a different way. For all have sinned and fall short, because that's what it means to sin. You fall short of the glory of God. You see, not only have you fallen short of your own standard... Because I can't even do what Chris expects Chris should do, right? I mean, I can't even live up to God's standard. I can't live up to my spouse's standard. I can't live up to my school standard. I can't even live up to the standard that I think I should live up to. And it's, he's saying, God, you've, God's saying, you fall short. Everybody is silenced because everybody ultimately falls short of God's glory, of his splendor, of his magnificence, of his greatness, of the perfection, of the standard that God sets. And he's, he's reminding us of this. And the reason why you can recognize a mess, the reason why you can see and recognize a mess is because every mess has a reference point, right? And it is an unmess. Because you know what a good marriage looks like. 
You know how you should be acting. You know what a good spouse should do. You know what a good a parent should do. You know what, what it looks like to be a good son or good daughter. And you don't measure up. That's the unmasked. You recognize it and you're like, but I'm not perfect. There is a perfect. And I am not it. Paul's point, and it's so powerful. Awareness of our messes awakens us to something outside of us to which you and I are held accountable. Up to this point, this is his point, that our messes, our junk, that if we can't see our junk, we will never ever be able to see God. That, and our natural inclination is, I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to do better, and I'm going to try to get out of this. And, and Paul's like, no, 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 that's not the point of any of this. God didn't give you the law so that you can try harder, and God doesn't prick your conscience so that you will become a better person. God speaks to you through your conscience, and God reminds you of all of this so that you will be aware of his presence, that there's something, that there's someone outside of you that we are held accountable. You see, we live in a day and age of two extremes. Some of you, you're here, and, and you're like, man, I am great, I am perfect, I have no problems, and you are living in a word I like to call denial, right? Now, some, most of us aren't like this, but some of you, you grew up, and you're like, man, I'm perfect, and I'm great, and, I'm, and you just think you've got, you're, you're God's gift to whatever, you are in denial, and that is an unhealthy extreme. But we live in another extreme, in this post-Christian culture that you and I live in, and this extreme is that there's no absolutes. There's no morality. That morality is up for grabs. That if the will of the people, if they want something hard enough, we'll just change the law and we'll make it legal, and that makes it right. And there's a Greek word for that. It's called bunk. I just made that up, by the way. It's not really a Greek word. You see, that you and I, that there are principles to which we don't have to believe them, but we, if we buck up against them, we are going to get hurt. Let me give you an example. Let's say I really, really want to fly, and I get on top of a building, and I don't believe in the law of gravity, right? And I'm like, that law of gravity, it's bunk. We changed the law. There is no more law of gravity, right? Good. And I get up on there, and I start singing the song, I believe I can fly, right? I believe I can touch the sky, right? And I start flapping, and I'm going, I can do it. I believe in myself, and I do not believe in gravity. And as I'm flapping, as I jump off that 10-story building and plummet to my death, I... My mess that I create on the sidewalk is going to remind everybody that there is a law called what? Gravity. Exactly right. You see, you don't have to believe it, but you need to, eventually, you're going to have to recognize it, and it may be you start recognizing it as you plummet to your death. Just saying. It's the reason why Paul writes, he says, the reason why the law was given is so that you could be made aware you could be made aware of your mess. And if you are made aware of your mess, you're just baby steps away from being made aware of a God who loves you. That if you can see your mess, you and I can experience God. That when we acknowledge our messes, we are just baby steps away 
from acknowledging God. So as I close, I simply want to give us the moral of this story. This has been a lot of heady knowledge here and a lot of theology, so let's just break it down into some practical things. First, the moral of this story is this. We all have something in common. We do. Now, this is important because in this crazy political arena that we are in today, and it is a little crazy, right? Whether you're Democrat or Republican, can we all agree everybody has lost their ever-loving minds? Okay, thank you. It doesn't matter where you fall on what construct and who you voted for. That, that We all have enemies, and we say it's the, it's the Republicans or the Democrats or the Tea Parties or whoever you want to call it, right? You, here's what you need to be reminded of. That you have something in common with the person you despise the most. That Madonna and Trump all have something in common. They are all hot messes. Right? That, that Donald Trump and Ashley Judd have something in common. And that they've all fallen short of the standard. They have. That you have. And I have. So when we have a tendency to throw stones and throw tomatoes and hurl insults either over social media or watch people who do that, we need to remind ourselves that everybody, all, have fallen short of God's standard. So, here's what I want us to do. This week, when you're on social media and people saying some cray-cray stuff, and they have, and I've been this close to getting on there and, like, going freaking out, because I, I can just I get tired of it, right? But I have to remember, I'm a pastor. I can't do that. I can't freak out. Before you have a tendency to criticize other people and, and be critical of other folks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say this out loud with me. It's going to be on the screen. I am a mess. I know I'm a mess. Say it with me. I know I'm a mess when I see one because I am one. I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to say it. You repeat it. I know I'm a mess when I see one because I am one. Before you get all crazy and you get your knickers up in a wad, go to the mirror and say, I am jacked up. I know I'm a mess when I see one because I am one. Now, as I close, I simply want to say this. If you're on the Bible app right now, you're going to see on there, there is a reading plan for you to read. And I'm going to have that on there for the next five weeks. It's called Move Towards the Mess. And as I read this, in fact, I started reading this plan because Kyle Burney, uh, who goes to our church, I was kind of following him, and he, he started reading this plan. I'm like, I'm going to start reading this. And just reading this, I'm like, man, we got to do this. we got to do this at one church. So uh, one of the things that we're going to be seeing like next week, we talked about how messy we are today. Next week, we're going to see the fix. So I'm encouraging you, if this is your first time, you've got to come back next week. Because some of you are like, okay, I get it. I'm really messy. What's the fix? You've got to come back. I ain't got enough time to do it. But that's next week, all right? And when we get to week four, week five, some of you are like, man, I'm getting frustrated. I want to go deeper. I mean, how can I? And, and, and you're just kind of bored with your Christianity. Honestly, let's be honest. And I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand. How many of you all have ever been bored with Christianity? I have. Thank you for being honest. I have as well. We're going to be talking about that. 
And we're going to be able to see that it's through the messiness that we can become uncomfortable and we can start growing again. So you'll want to make sure. This is a five-week series. Next week, make sure to show up. Bring a friend. Bring a coworker Because we're going to see how God addresses our mess. I'm going to pray for us. Band is going to sing. And as they sing, you're welcome to be dismissed. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that we can come. And Lord, that the ground is level when we're all standing before you. God, thank you so much, God, that we can be able to come and see that all of us are messy. And so many times when we, when we see the whole messiness, Lord, we have a tendency to want to judge us hush, harshly or judge other people harshly. And God, I pray that you would always remind us that your word is a mirror and your word is a reminder. A mirror of who we really are and a reminder of who you're calling us to be. So Heavenly Father, I pray that today, as we try to figure out what is my next step and what should I do with this message. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we can spot a mess. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.